Amen. We are calling the church to prayer. We've got some different prayer groups around. If you'd like to be a part of one of those, and they meet at different times and uh, get together and pray. Uh, if you don't, just you can pray on your own. But we need to lift up our church and pray for needs we have. Of course, we've got quite a few needs. And so it's uh, always a good thing to be a church of prayer. Also, let me say this morning that, you know, this is one of my favorite days of the year because you can tell so much. You can tell the young mothers that have students because they've got a big smile on their face. Because tomorrow is school day. (laughs) But you can also look at the kids and say, oh, no, it's school day. And so you can tell some things by them. But what a great day it is. Tomorrow all the kids get to go back to school and all the, the activities go with that. By the way, we've had some visitors come in since we began a while ago, and you be sure to meet them as they're here in our crowd and just welcome them to our service. And we're glad to have you all as part of us this morning. And so if you will, get your Bibles and turn with you to Exodus chapter 3. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here this morning. I've used something very close to this outline today. I'm not, I really don't remember, to be honest with you, exactly what, what I did. But I'm going to change enough you probably won't recognize anyway. But it's, uh, it's one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite guys in the, in the Bible. It's about old Moses. Now, let me share with you that when our first son that was here with us just a few weeks ago, Shane, was here with us, when he was born, I wanted to name him Moses, but Judy wouldn't let me. I mean, I thought that Moses Melton just had a ring about it, but she, she wouldn't let me do it, so we couldn't do it. But anyway, but it's, I, just, I just could imagine somebody calling and him saying, this is Moses. Oh, really? <laughs> but anyway, we, we didn't get to do that. She wouldn't let me do it. But anyway, it just, but Moses is one of the neatest characters in all the Bible. If you will, get to, uh, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to ask you when you find that, if you would, to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. And this is just a brief part of the story of Moses, but it's a very important part. Excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the rain we've had. And Lord, we also ask that you would just be with the ones that are having the flood problems and all the things that are going on south of us. And Lord, that you would just protect each and every church and, and the people of all walks of life, Lord. We know it's got to be a miserable time in some of these areas, and, Lord, we just ask that you would be with them and just, just Lord, guide them through this, that it's not the end of the world. They may have lost a lot of things in this world, but, Lord, it's still something more important to go on. 
And, Lord, we just ask that you would give our workers, the emergency workers, the firemen, the ambulance drivers, and all the different ones, just give them protection as this is a dangerous time for them to be out in this. But, Lord, we also just thank you for God that just touches our lives and makes a difference. Go with us now as we look at these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Certainly, you can be seated. Certainly, we would all agree that Moses is one of the mightiest servants that God used in the Old Testament. Born of Hebrew parents, he became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter after his own parents had hidden him in the bulrushes of the Nile River. According to Scripture, during those early years in Egypt, Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says, Moses was learned in all the ways of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. He discovered not too long after that that he was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, not a king, but a slave, not a son of Pharaoh's daughter, but the son of Pharaoh's servant. The Bible states in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now think about those words he just said. Here was Moses. He had the luxury of all lives. He was Pharaoh's grandson, in essence, adopted grandson. His daughters, Pharaoh's daughters, had adopted Moses, had made him. He had every benefit that you could possibly have in life, and then some. I mean, he had the best food. He had the best toys. He had the best everything. But Moses decided to give it up. Now, what in the world inspired him to do that? I don't know. We're not told exactly, but I believe God put upon his heart that he was really not part of Pharaoh's family. That he was a Hebrew. That he was somebody that was the slaves of, the, of Pharaoh. And he began to change the way he looked at things. Now think about this. This man gave up everything. I mean, the things that you and I work for to try to acquire, he had it. But he gave it up. Because of who he was. Moses became great because he had a commitment to his God that conquered the devil's temptations. He conquered sinful pleasure, idle leisure, worldly treasure. Moses turned his, his back on everything that most of us strive to gain, things in life, largely like to possess. We want those things. We desire those things. We work for those things. And all the things that go, that's what most people strive for, even us a lot of times. But Moses began to see himself as who he really was. And he began to change his outlook. Moses was willing to sacrifice the worldly trappings for which people today sacrifice themselves to get. A lot of people spend a lifetime trying to get things, and they acquire a lot of times. But it doesn't bring them the satisfaction that they're hoping it would. Having made that all-important decision, Moses was not yet ready to receive the greatness for which he was destined. He was a chosen vessel, yet he was not a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use yet. 
and prepared for every good work, it says in 2 Timothy 2, 21. The greatness within Moses would only be released as he touched, as he was touched by the flame of God's Spirit. Now think about that. Here's this man. He had what most of us would desire to have. He had the nicest house on the block. He had everything you can imagine. As a young guy growing up, he had every toy that could be invented. He had it. And he decided to give it up for God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have done that. I'm going to just be honest with you. I just don't know if I could have done that. But Moses did. But then there's a big difference between Moses. Did you see that God said he was destined for greatness? That's what separates us. I guess I wasn't. <laughs> but here he was. He gave up all this. He had it in his lap. He was part of it. He could claim to be the daughter of Pharaoh, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Not officially, not biologically, but she had adopted him. And he decided to give it up. Now think about that for just a moment. Would, would you do the same thing in all probability if you had the chance? I would say, just, I mean, just, I can't understand why that I couldn't have been Trump's son. I mean, just think about it. I've been a good son. You know, why couldn't I have been born into that family? And all the benefits that go along with it. Well, nowadays, I'm not sure it's a benefit, but we won't go into that. But, I mean, just think about it. All the benefits of some high-class, the Rockefellers, for instance. Wouldn't it be fun to be a part of that family? The Kennedys. All these great families we hear so much about. That's exactly what Moses had. He already had it. He didn't have to try to acquire it. He had it. And he made a decision to give it up. Now, what in the world made him make that decision? Having voluntarily cut, voluntarily cut the ties with Egypt and having been rejected by his own people now. Now, we're leaving out some of the story, but you can go back and read it. Moses now found himself on the backside of a desert. You know what his new job was? He had a Ph.D. in sheep sheep herding, (laughs) sheep heating. (laughs) He had a Ph.D. in sheep herding. Now, that's not a really recognizable great job to have. I mean, just you're out in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. Now, I've never had sheep in my life. We never had sheep in my life growing up. But I'm told it's one of the dumbest animals you can ever be around. I mean, somebody told me one time, and I believe it was Sam, was telling me that they used to have sheep, and said, those sheep, when it starts raining like a heavy rain, they'll look up, and if, you, if they don't watch it, they'll literally drown themselves by being so dumb to get out of the rain. Now, I don't know if that's a fact. You know, Sam tells a whole lot of stories, so just keep that in mind. But no, I'm, I'm serious. But it's, uh, here was Moses. He came from the king's house. He had everything that you can imagine to need in your life or want in your life. And he gave it up. And now he finds himself on the backside of a desert, out in the wilderness, with nothing to show other than what he's got on his back. That's all of his possessions. A sheep herder was not one of the classic type jobs that you could have. They stunk because they lived with the sheep. They were not very approachable, if you know what I mean. But here he is. He's out herding sheep. He's got this Ph.D. degree from all the schools and all the schooling he went to. And he's in the backside of a desert herding sheep. Moses, the mighty prince, 
had become a lowly sheep herder. I can almost hear Satan as he spoke to Moses while walking across that lonely wilderness. Moses, you're a fool. Moses, you could be sitting on the throne of Egypt right now, and you threw it all away. Moses, you could be eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine. You could hold in your arms a lovely Egyptian lady and enjoy all the pleasures afforded to the Pharaoh himself. I mean, you could have it all right now. And you blew it, boy. Can't you hear old Satan tell us that? Isn't that what he does to us sometimes? When we make decisions, old Satan, just, man, you blew it this time. You just totally wasted your life. And we begin to believe it. But Moses had something else. And it began to burn in him. And then this situation, you could, for, for 40 years of wandering from one side of the wilderness to the other, 40 years, folks, he went from the powerful position in the world to now for 40 years of his life herding sheep. He wasn't a young man anymore. He was now beginning to be an older man. And all that walking and all those sheep and all that bleeping and all that stuff that he had to hear, it was not a fun time in his life. But I want you to notice something. God was getting him to where he wanted him to be. Because God still had made him a promise some years ago. There's going to be greatness for you in your life. Now, how many of you would last for 40 years and give up on that dream that God told you? I'm sure there was days that he thought, God, have you forgot me back here? I'm back here and you just totally forgot about me. Of course, I don't know where I'm at, let alone if you know where I'm at. But yet he kept faithful, even at those times. But after 40 years of wandering from one side of the wilderness to the other, something happened in the life of Moses that was to change the destiny not only of himself, but of the nation of Israel itself. God broke the 40 years of silence by speaking to Moses out of a, a burning bush. What is the significance of that? What is so special about that bush? Nothing. It was a common bush that grew all across that part of the world. It was an everyday thing. But it's not what happened to the bush. It's what happened inside the bush that made the difference. God broke the 40 years of silence by speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. A miraculous burning bush that was aflame, but was not being consumed by the fire. Now, would you have noticed that if you had been out there? This bush, just a common everyday, almost like what we'd call tumbleweed in, out in West Texas. It's just really good for nothing. But yet one day he came up on this bush and it was burning and he noticed something about it. The flames are alive. It's burning. But it wasn't being consumed. And I think though Moses might have looked at that bush and said, God, that's what I need. That's what I need in me. I need you burning. Not to the point where it consumes me, but that I've got the fire of you burning inside of me. And watch what takes place in this story. On that momentous day, Moses stood on holy ground, the Bible says. 
Now, what was special about the ground? It was desert. It was wilderness. Again, it was just a common, everyday bush. What was so special that God would call it, you're standing on holy ground? Well, because he was in the presence of God Almighty. And folks, let me share with you this morning. Now, you may not realize it. You may not even thought about it yet. But this is the house of God that we're gathered in today. Did you know that we're sitting and standing in, on holy ground right here? You say, how do you know that? Because God says, where my people are joined together, I'm in the midst of them. And God brings us together. It doesn't matter how many we got here. He says, where two or more are gathered together, I am in the midst of you. This is holy ground you're sitting on. That's why we ought to respect this building. Not that we ought to worship this building. I've been in churches that literally worship the building they've had. Or it seemed that's what their interest was anyway. But that, that's not what God tells us to do. He tells us that we're in holy ground when you're in the presence of God. And God's presence is here this morning. God's presence is always here every Sunday morning. But let me tell you something else that's always here. Did you know one of our faithful visitors is old Satan himself? He's here every single time we have service. In fact, he's the one that's sitting on your shoulder and says, you don't need to listen to this. Turn on your iPhone. Let's, let's play some tunes. Put those buds in your ear. He's the one that says, just play a little game. Nobody's going to hear you anyway. He says, are you paying attention? You don't have to worry about what he says. I've got more things to entertain you with. But this is holy ground in God's eyes. Not because we're here. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But because God's presence lives here in the hearts of His people, in the place where we come to worship, in the songs that we worship and sing, in the times that we come together and pray. God's presence is here. Anytime we gather together. So this is just like the burning bush. God set that bush on fire and it burned and it burned and it burned and yet was not consumed. And today God wants to set his people on fire spiritually and, if, if, and he will if we will let him. God wants to start that fire in each one of us. You say, well, I just don't understand. I'm just, I'm just wore out. I'm, I'm getting to the age now where I just don't know why I can do much more. God wants to light that fire back in your life. The same as he did Moses on this picture right we just read to you. He wants to light that fire in every one of our hearts. Well, we're just a small church. There's not a lot we can do. Who said? I don't know about you, but my God can do anything he wants to do. We don't have to be a little small church. We can be what God wants to be. If we will be consumed by God's fire, if we will realize the fact that we're standing on holy ground when we walk in this building. Now, again, I'm not trying to say this building's anything special. Don't misunderstand that. This building is just a building. If a tornado were to come through tomorrow and wipe this building off the face of the earth, we would still be the church at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. We may not have a building to meet in for a couple of years, but we would still be the church. Because this building is just what houses this church. The church is you and I, folks, that are part of this church. 
that have a desire to see men and women outside these walls come to know Jesus Christ. I've shared with you many times. I'll continue to. This church was not built for you and I. This church was built for people that have never walked in our doors. And it's our job to invite those people in to walk in the doors so they can become part of this church. I don't know about you, but I think we got the best church in Coryell County for that matter. Now, that's my opinion, and yeah, I'm a little biased, I'll be honest with you. But I believe it is. In fact, if I wasn't, I'd be at the other church I thought was. But that's no, well, I don't know about that for sure. They probably wouldn't take me. Y'all did, so that's where we came. I'm, I'm kidding. But anyway, that's what the church is. But listen to what happens to Moses. Where is this place called Holy Ground that we talk of? Holy Ground is the place where the voice of God is heard. Now, again, don't think that I'm saying I'm the voice of God. I'm not. Right here is the voice of God. All I do is read it to you. I did not put these words in the Bible. I couldn't hold this book in my own intelligence and life-wise. But God wrote this book for you and I. And that's what we can call God's Word. And God's Word can speak to us. And God's Word still penetrates us. And God's Word can still begin to move us in life and cause change in our life. Holy ground is a place where the voice of God is heard. It's a personal encounter between a person and God. That's why we have a building like this. That's why we try to keep it nice, try to keep it attractive, so that you will come and you can find God in that place. Just this morning, most of you all probably heard of Dr. Richard Land. He's one of our leaders in our Southern Baptist Conviction and so forth, a brilliant man and so forth. This morning, in fact, I put it on my Facebook today, but it, uh, he was telling a story. And that he told this as a true story, that a church they visit. Now, he's, he lives in Tennessee up in Nashville where the, our uh, Southern Baptist headquarters are. And he was telling about that he went to a church. And said they, they walked in that day and said uh, they began the service and they had these smoke machines doing so forth. And said all of a sudden out of the, the, they jumped down and started playing these heavy guitars. You know, this is a Southern Baptist church. And he said, you know, it was an exciting service, no doubt. But as he stood there and watched the entertainment, as he called it, he began to think, that's what's wrong with our churches today. We've taken God worship out of our churches and made it an entertainment center. And it draws thousands of people sometimes. But is it doing what we're called to do as a church? To share the message of Jesus Christ. Folks, I hope the day never comes in my life at least where we don't preach Jesus Christ every time we stand behind this desk. That's what we're here for. I don't mean we can't have good things and you know entertaining things that are, are good. I don't mean to say that. But when we turn our worship centers into entertainment centers, we're not doing the work of God. And sometimes we need to get on that holy ground to bring us back to where we need to be. And that's what Moses found out for himself. It's a personal encounter between a person and God. When Moses stood before the burning bush with his attention completely arrested, his curiosity stirred to the deepest and his mentality pitched to its peak. God spoke in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. 
Do not draw near this place. Take the sandals off your feet, for this place where you stand is holy ground. Do we look at coming to worship God as something that's holy? Or do we just, is He just the big daddy in the sky? The old man upstairs. Is that our attitude of who God is? Folks, I think we've lost in our nation a reverence for who God is. Even in our churches a lot of times. We've lost it. We've become so community-oriented that we've lost what our purpose is as churches. Oh, how we need to get back to what God put us here for. The phrase does not refer to the soil of Mount Horeb. Rather, the little, literally literal rendering indicates that particular piece of real estate was made holy by the presence of God, the true and living God. So again, this is not a holy place we're sitting in, but it's holy in the sense of this is a place where you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can make changes in your life that you can't make on your own. You can find a peace that you can't find anywhere else. You can come to this altar and pray and know that God listened to you. You don't have to go through a priest or somebody else or a pastor for that matter. I'll be glad to pray with you, but guess what? You can pray just as good or probably better than I can. You don't have to go through somebody. God made that available when he died on the cross. Remember at the cross? The moment that Jesus died, the Bible says that great, huge curtain that was in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What that represents is God just ripped that in half. Now you have direct access to God himself. Your prayers are just as powerful as anybody in this room is, and probably more so sometimes. You don't have to go through somebody else to pray. God says you have direct access now. Think about that. The God of this universe, the God that hung the stars in the sky, when I speak to him, he stops and listens. And he does the same thing for you. That's an awesome benefit that we have, that God hears me when I pray. He may not always answer the way I want him to. He may not jump like I pull his string and say, okay, God, get down here. It's time for you to bless me. But God says he will always answer our prayers. But guess what? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is you're not ready for it yet. But God always answers prayers. Every one of us. Let's move along. The scripture says in Proverbs 30:18, where there is no vision, the people perish. The greatest vision needed is the vision of the nature and character of God himself. We need to find out who God really is. We've got these pictures that we have in our minds of who God is, but sometimes they're so far off. We need to begin to understand what the Bible says that God is. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to be in your life. God wants to make a difference in your life. He wants to guide your life. He wants to benefit your life. But that requires us surrendering to it. First thing Moses saw in that burning bush was a vision of God's presence. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 8 and 9. 
there's a review of the history of Israel, and verse 9 says, And the angel of his presence saved them. That's powerful. This sense of the personal and intimate reality of God came to Moses with amazing power as he stood before that burning bush. This is where it happened. Remember, out in the desert, he has a relationship all of a sudden with God. He didn't see God. He saw the essence of God in that burning bush. And he heard God speak to him. Moses, with amazing power, as he stood there before that flaming bush, no liberal professor could convince Moses after that experience that God is impersonal and doesn't exist. And when you have a personal experience with God through Jesus Christ, you'll be the same way. You'll never have anybody question. It doesn't matter what some professor may tell you, what some archaeologist may tell you that they've discovered. There is no God we hear all the time today. But once you encounter God and know who God is, that will never be a question in your life again because he'll always be real in that sense. God says to Moses, Say that I am that I am when he told him to go back to uh, Pharaoh. He says, just, he says, well, what, how do I tell him who you are? He says, just tell him my name. I am that I am. Now, those words don't mean a lot to you and I, but they meant a lot back then because people realized that was who God called himself. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, the phrase I am in Hebrew is closely related to a personal name. Jehovah, Yahweh, which occurs 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It only speaks of the timelessness of God, but the fact that He is present in every situation of life. What are you going through in your life this, right now? There may be people that are facing surgeries, and you're worried. Let God take care of it. Trust God in it. You may be facing financial situations. Let God take care of it. Trust God. See what I'm saying? God is there, each one of us. And He's just a voice away from us. But yet we treat Him sometimes like He's, Lord, He's way back over the other side of the universe. How can He get back here? You know the thing that blows my mind about God? And the Bible says, in fact, I think I had a little message on this sort of just a few weeks ago. But the Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on my head. Now, granted, it don't take him that long to count them anymore. But he still knows them. Why in the world would God be interested in the hairs on my head? I don't know. That's just what the Bible says. I think it's to show us that he cares about the little bitty details of our lives. And he knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's looking for you to have a relationship with him. Just think about it. God knows the number of hairs on my head. Everyone in this room. Well, maybe except Robert, but it just, <laughs> I pick on him. I have to pick on him sometimes. But think about that. This almighty God cares enough about me and you that he knows little details like that that really have no significance to me. I mean, they just, they fall out every day. What's, what's another hair? But he knows everyone. He also knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. Not an eagle, not a hawk, but a sparrow. The cheapest 
more abundant bird that the world knows. I guess they're everywhere you go making messes. But he knows when one of them falls out of the air and dies. Can you imagine it? I mean, think about that. He cares that much about a bird? Don't you think he cares more about you and I than what we realize? Let's move along. Second, Moses saw a vision of God's perception. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey. God said, I've seen. God said, I've heard. That means to consider, to heed, to perceive. He said, I know, in verse 7. That word means to comprehend, to discern, or to understand. All of this indicates that God had not forgotten the children of Israel. See, old Moses thought he just blew it and messed up his life, and he was out there in the desert. That was his punishment for 40 years. But no, God had a bigger plan, and he knew that one day he was going to use Moses for a very special purpose. And now he's beginning to work it. Don't you think God could do the same thing in your life? Yeah, but you just don't understand what situation I'm in. No, I don't. But guess what? You don't understand what situation I'm in. But I know this. God promised me he would never drop me. He would never leave me. He would never forsake me. I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know what's going to happen in my future. I mean, you know, I'm at the age now, about 31, where it's, uh, you know, I'm, st- I'm starting to look at re- retirement. You know, just uh, you know, another 30 years, I'll probably be ready to retire. I'll be about 50 by then, at least. And, you know, we've been talking about, well, what are we going to re- do retire? And, and we sat down and figured out our retirement. I can retire when I'm 110 to have enough to live on. So just, just stay with it. You're not getting rid of me that easy. But anyway, it just we worry about things we've got no control over. But yet our God says, I'll take care of you. Why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about these little things that don't matter? But we live that way all the time. God's vision takes the crisis and the hurts of those who are in bondage and cruel taskmaster. Satan himself has seen the oppression, the sorrow, the back-breaking bondage that sin brings. He's seen the hungry children, the broken homes, the ruined lives. And God has sent believers in this world to be his Moses today and say, let me tell you about somebody. His name is Jesus Christ. And oh, what a difference he can make in your life. And too many times we as church members know that truth. We understand that truth. But we keep it among ourselves and don't share it. Our job as a church, our job as Robertson Avenue Baptist Church is not to pat each other on the back and have little fellowships and eat dinners and all the fun things we do. And they're, they're great. I love them. Our job is to go outside these walls and let people see Christ in us. That's what our job's for. God uses common garments to do uncommon deeds. There's a song that Judy and I was, well, I had it on. Judy was just listening to it, I guess, on the way to church this morning. It's by Vision, uh, Greater Vision. I don't know if you know that group. Southern Baptist, uh, I mean, Southern uh, Gospel uh, Quartet, uh, Trio. 
And they've got a song called Uncommon Garments. And what it talks about is that we're all garments to be used by God. And God uses these uncommon garments, everyday people, to do uncommon things for Him. It's a neat song. You need to listen to it one time. I mean, just a, just a beautiful word song, but you've got to get the words what it's saying. And listen to what He's saying. Each one of us in ourselves are not necessarily a beautiful garment. We've got scars. We've got ailments. We've got all these other things. But God can use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. A common garment to make an uncommon difference in your life if you'll let Him. Let's get this moved on today. The third thing we see, holy ground is a place where the victory is assured. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 that we read, it says, God says something that is amazing. He says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, after hearing that, he was to be the chief human agent to get the Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves over there. Pharaoh's not going to just say, Okay, Come, yeah, you asked to happen. Yeah, y'all go on. Get out of here. It's not going to happen. And if you know the Bible, you know what happened. There was called ten plagues that had to happen first. But that's what God said to him. Now remember, this is a sheep herder he's talking to. But God had started working his life years before, and he wasn't finished with him yet. He may have looked like an old common garment, but God had an uncommon person, a purpose for him. Moses staggered before the impossibility of the task. He said, I can't do that. I mean, first of all, Pharaoh will probably chop my head off if I go back there. Remember, I used to be his grandson-in-law. I used to be his daughter's son. I can't go back there. He'll have my head on a platter before nighttime. And he says, how am I supposed to tell him to let my people go? God says, because I told him to. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, he says. Now, be honest, doesn't that sound like a lot of us when we're asked to do a role in the church, of maybe leadership or Sunday school teacher, singing the choir, God forbid? Oh, I can't do that. Let me tell you about a man sitting in our crowd this morning. Just this morning, he told me he's going to be here at choir practice today. Where'd Jesse go back there? I don't see him right now. Anyway, he, uh, Jesse was sitting over there, and he says he's going to be in choir this afternoon. And by the way, the rest of you ought to also just just uh, just you know starting the uh, Christmas musical on in July, isn't it? But uh, no, uh, July, <laughs> September. That's what I wanted. <laughs> September tenth. And so we need you up here. I'm looking at it. I know some guys can sing. You know, I'm I just a bunch of you out there, but we won't we won't go there. But y'all come on up and join us. It'd be a great time. We may have to record it so we can just sing to somebody. But it'll be. <laughs> but we'll have a good time anyway. Come on up and join with us. But here's, here's Moses. He had been in the desert for 40 years. I want you to notice that God's purpose for his life never quit. Over the years, I've been preaching now, pastoring now for over 31 years. And I hate to say this, but I've known a lot of people and friends of mine that have fallen by the wayside, have quit the ministry. Some by mistakes they made. Some just got tired and walked off. My prayer 
is and always has been. Lord, let me finish the race you called me for. I don't want to quit early. I don't want to mess up and mess up my life. God called me to this, and God wants me to finish it. I don't know how long that will be. He may take me away next week. I don't know, but so be it if that's his will. But I've seen pastors after pastors and music directors and youth directors and so forth that made mistakes and got out of the ministry. My biggest fear is I wouldn't finish the course that God's got before me. Moses didn't know what the course would be, but God had intentions of him finishing it. Moses said, this is what I want to do with your life. God said, Moses, this is what I want to do with your life. I want to take a man who has failed, a man who is nothing but an unknown, a nameless shepherd, and I want to set you ablaze with a holy fire that, you will, that will never go out. And that's exactly what God says about every one of us here today. Not just preachers, not just youth directors. God says, I want to set you afire. You know why? I can go outside this next week and I can tell maybe 10, 12 people during the week. But just think if everybody in this room went out and told one. See what a difference it makes. Every one of us, if we just shared with one person, Jesus Christ, I believe in a short time this building would be full to capacity and we'd have to knock out walls because that's God's plan of growth. I want to set you a fire, ablaze with a holy fire that will never go out. The bush kept on burning. The victory of God for Moses was assured. No wonder Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors. Now, now no wonder Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Do you believe that? God always causes us to be victorious. Always. He causes us to be victorious in everything we do. Let me close this out. I know I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. When Billy Graham conducted his first New York crusade at Madison Square Garden in the early 50s, the press interviewed the famous singer, Ethel Waters. A reporter asked her, Ethel, why are you allowing yourself to be identified with this young fellow, Graham? Don't you know that Madison Square Garden <coughs> is the graveyard of evangelists, and he is going to be a flop? Miss Ethel Waters, in all of her brilliance, replied, No, sir, he ain't no flop, because God don't make flops. That's good, isn't it? It may not be the best English, but it's good. God don't make no flops, folks. Don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I've just failed. I can't do it. God can take the old garment and make it a new one. Can the church move forward in this day of indifference in our world? Yes. Can we reach people with a saving message of Jesus Christ in a modern culture? Absolutely. Can we see our churches grow and become beacons of light for this dark world we live in now? This chaotic world that's going crazy on us for the last few years? The answer is a resounding yes through the power of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. But when we begin serious praying for God to do a work in our lives, then that will begin to spread to other ones. Are we committed? Are we serious about it? 
through the power of Jesus Christ made available to every believer through the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But we must stand before the Lord on holy ground and realize who we are, who we represent, who we're serving, and what we're here for. Where the voice of God is heard, the vision of God is revealed, and where the victory of God is assured. We can. We've got to. Our children, our grandchildren's lives depend on it. We are rapidly becoming a non-Christian nation. In fact, as President Obama said a few years ago, we are no longer a Christian nation. We may not like that, but that's true. We're not a Christian nation as a whole anymore. And the only people that can turn that around is God's people. And most of the time we sit on our hands and watch it happen. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us as we come and close this service. Lord, we just ask that you would just let us each one realize that, yes, Lord, we stand on holy ground when we pray, when we come to you with our requests, with our needs, that we're on holy ground because it's not holy because of where we're at. It's holy because of who we're talking to. And, Lord, just burn inside of us that we each one can be a garment that's changed, can be a garment that you still use. Lord, we may look at this world and say there's no hope for this world. Look at the chaos that's going on, the infight and the hatred, the, the things that are being said over and over and over. But, God, you can take each one of us and change us and make us different. Lord, take this time of invitation real quickly. And, Lord, just use it. If there be anyone in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, this may be the day that they come to know him. Maybe there's just some that need to bow at these steps and use it as an altar and say, Lord, I've just not been what I need to be. And I know you're depending on me. Maybe there's some of us like Moses that just seem like we're out in the desert. We've lost our course, our route. And God's trying to say, come home and let me show you what I can do through you. Whatever the need is, as we tarry just for a moment, we're not going to be here long. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.